Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. From Septuagesima to Ash Wednesday, also called pre-Lent, we prepare ourselves for the Lenten season. It is a time to consider which disciplines, if any, we will observe on our own. The so-called Lenten disciplines of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, of course, are not limited to Lent. They are probably better called the Christian disciplines, as these are part of the believer's life of faith, not only for a season, but for all time. Yet, the penitential seasons of Advent and Lent provide us times for reflection, self-examination, and renewed discipline. The approximately 70 days from Septuagesima to Easter remind us, not only now, but the whole Christian life is one of repentance and exile from our spiritual home. For our spiritual forefathers, the people of Israel were in Babylon in exile for 70 years. So too, this world is not our true home as it is, but we look forward to our true home in the world to come. Our readings this day put these themes before us so that we may examine them and take them to heart. For example, our epistle lesson speaks of the discipline of a Christian as being more important than the discipline of an athlete. For while athletes run for a perishable prize, we run for an imperishable one. Our Lord's parable this morning likewise is related. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. The kingdom of heaven here is pictured as a vineyard, which is not at all uncommon in the scriptures. Through Isaiah the prophet, the Lord calls Israel his vineyard. And there are other parables of Jesus which compare his people to a vineyard. Here, however, the focus is slightly different. The focus is on the landowner and his workers and his relationship to them. Notice how throughout this parable it is the landowner who goes out into the marketplace to find workers for his vineyard. He does not put up a job posting and wait for people to come to him, but he consistently goes out and finds workers for himself. He goes out early in the morning, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You go also into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And again he went out the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others. Here we see it is the landowner who gathers and calls the workers into his vineyard. Likewise regarding the kingdom of heaven, it is the Lord God who calls and gathers his people to himself. The only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to be called upon into it by God. To use the image of the parable, 
One cannot climb over the walls of the vineyard in order to get to work, nor come in of their own free will. All those in the marketplace stood idly around. Just so it is God himself who brings those in who, because of their inherent sinfulness, could not come in to the kingdom by their own reason or strength. Yes, it is only by his grace that is his undeserved favor that we enter into his kingdom. It is through his grace, which is demonstrated through the sending of his son into the world and by his sacrificial death for our sins, that we may enter into the kingdom of God. Faith or trust is the means by which we receive this. Just as the workers, once idle, had faith in the words of the landowner who said, whatever is right, I will give you. And so they were brought into the vineyard. If there were any workers that did not believe his words, saying, whatever is right, I will give you, they would have remained outside of the vineyard, in their idleness in the marketplace. Likewise, those who do not believe the gospel message preached to them who reject its call will remain in their sin and condemnation. For many are called, as the gospel extends to all people, but few are chosen. Yes, our parable makes it clear, along with all the scriptures, that it is God himself who brings us into his kingdom by his grace. Indeed, to him belongs mercy and forgiveness. But why does he call us into his kingdom? To save us, yes, that we might not die eternally, but rather live. And that is important, obviously. But then why does he not just take us to himself the moment that we believe? Why not the second that we are baptized as an infant, or when we are an adult and hear the word and believe, are we not just zapped up to heaven immediately to be in his presence? Because there's work to be done. See how the landowner does not call those into his vineyard in order to feast with him, in order to spend time with him and be in his presence, but to work. Those other things come after the day is done. They are called from idleness in the marketplace to work in the vineyard. So too we are called by God out of the darkness of sin and death and into his kingdom of marvelous light and life, not so that we may be idle, but so that we may work. As St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, By grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is the clearest presentation of this gospel, that it is God's grace by which we are justified. His good favor towards us in sending his Son to bear our sins for us, to take them away. Yes, by grace you have been saved through faith. Yet after making this very clear that our works cannot save us, only the grace of God, he adds, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, we are saved only by God's grace, in order that we may work. And what is this work, and how does it go? Our parable demonstrates this for us because it shows two kinds of workers. Those who work with the intention to earn something, who despite all of their hard work are excluded in the end from the master's favor because they lacked trust in him. They're told to take what is theirs and go. And yet there are the other workers 
who, because they are called by him into the vineyard in order to work, trust in their master's mercy and goodness, and they work. These two types of workers could not be any more different. This is shown in how they work as well as in how they end up. And this parable is a stark and important reminder of this for us, especially as we prepare for the season of Lent, because our fallen sinful nature is inclined to puffing ourselves up, and it's always seeking a way to earn or merit something before God. So let us put all thoughts of merit and earning out of our heads, dear brothers and sisters, as we look at the first kind of worker mentioned. For the first workers are called and represent those who work in order to earn something, some merit, some standing, some favor. These ones thought only about their reward, their own selves. This manifests itself in various ways, although it comes from the same root, and the same attitude behind it. It may be performing good works in order to appease God, as if we could impress him by what we are doing. It seeks to merit some sort of standing before him, so that by our works we might rise higher than the others around us in his sight, working to become closer to him like some sort of bureaucrat, working hard to make their way up the hierarchy. This sort of working ultimately ends up rooted in a sense of pride, thinking, I've done my share, I've earned this. Surely, I'm quite great, for I am surpassingly humble, and God looks on the humble, and that is greatness in his eyes. This is shown in how the first workers react when they see that all the others receive a denarius. When the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise each received a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner. The other way in which this manifests, this working to earn, is working in order to appease, working in order to appease God or find favor with him, but it is working in order to appease the conscience. For if pride does not overtake the conscience who works in order to earn before God, then despair takes over. For how can one think to earn anything before God? How can one approach God with a conscience weighed down by sin when he is holy? And so one works to appease that conscience. The thoughts which seem to show up among all people of all times and all places, that in order to earn a place before God, we must ultimately do more good than evil. Think about the idea from the East of karma or anything of that sort where one should ultimately have more good to cancel out that evil. Or think of the ideas from the ancient Egyptians where the keeper of the dead would weigh the heart to see if it weighed more than a feather. If more evil deeds were done, you're out of luck. If more good deeds were done, then it remained equal with the feather, and one could go into uh, a good life. That comes around time and time again. It's a good thing that we all think about. It's easy to think about. It makes sense. That for each sin, cover it with good. And so the conscience that is hurt, that is bruised, thinks, 
I just need to do more good to cover it up. But no amount of good works can ultimately appease the conscience, especially when Satan and even our own flesh remind us of our sins. Only if one does works in this way to appease and comfort their own conscience, it's like a worker bearing the burden and the heat of the day with no relief. Working harder under the sun is not going to make you feel any better. Such workers God does not desire in his vineyard, in his kingdom. For these workers, whether those who work to earn favor before him or who work in order to appease their own conscience, don't trust in him, but rather in their own ability to appease him or impress and appease their hearts. The other workers in our parable this morning demonstrate the kind of work that our Lord desires in the kingdom. These are those who work not to earn anything from God, but trusting in his grace and his mercy. They work because they've been given work to do, and they trust in him when he said, whatever is right, I will give you. They have been saved from idleness, which brings nothing but hunger and destitution. And so they gladly work in the vineyard for this landowner to receive whatever it is that he will give them having saved them from this idleness and nothingness. The workers hired at the first hour, who thought only of earning their pay, grumbled that the others were all made equal with them, even though they had borne the heat of the day. Yet, when you think about it, the majority of those that were called to work also worked in the heat of the day. We don't generally use Roman timekeeping anymore, so let's explain it this way. The second group hired was hired at the third hour. That is, for us in our way of telling time, between eight and nine o'clock in the morning. For them, the day was not a burden. They did not complain like the others, even though they also worked under the heat of the sun, because they were grateful to him who called them to work and so was providing for them. They, in the end, received more than they deserved, but they trusted in the one who called them. The works that God desires of his Christians are not works that are done in order to earn anything from him, but are works of those done by those who trust in him alone for their salvation. This flows from trust, from faith in him. The ninth stanza of our hymn puts it beautifully well. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing, and by its fruits true faith is known with love and hope increasing, for faith alone can justify. Works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. These works, then, are grounded not in a desire to earn something, to gain higher standing, but in faith in Christ. Grounded in love for him and seeking to please him, not so we can earn something from that pleasure, but in the way that a child seeks to do those things that please their parents because they love their parents. Such good works are done because God has saved us by his mercy and grace from a life of sin which leads to death and condemnation. He has saved us through the work of Jesus Christ, his Son. His works alone 
have appeased the righteous wrath of God. His works alone can soothe our conscience, for it is through him that our sins are forgiven. When our flesh and the devil say, look, you sinner, how could God want anything to do with you? You say, but Christ has done all to save me. His works forgive my sin. And so being forgiven, being justified before God because of Christ Jesus, we are free to work. Such good works are those of a runner running, not with uncertainty, wondering if these works will be enough, but with the certain and firm trust in Christ who's already done enough. Such good works are those of a boxer who fights, not as one who beats the air, who does things with futility, but as one who wrestles against the sinful desires of the flesh and the temptations of the world, because Christ has already overcome the world by his death and resurrection. And what good works am I speaking about? It's fine and dandy to talk about those good works that God desires, but not talking about them. Well, if you'd like to see, look at the Ten Commandments. For these speak not only of what not to do, but for the Christian, and only for the Christian, for those that trust in Christ and know that they are forgiven in God's sight, these show what is pleasing to God our Savior. Fear, love, and trust in God, calling upon him in prayer and praise, attending the hearing of his word, these are the first and greatest, Yet there's also those more numerous which support our neighbor, honoring and obeying those in authority over us, helping our neighbor in their bodily needs, loving and honoring our spouse and protecting the chastity of others, giving to the poor and to the needy, speaking well of others and defending their reputations, being content with our possessions and helping others to do the same. These are just some of those that are found therein. So, too, you can look at the table of duties in the small catechism. There are various scripture passages which are, lay out before us the good works according to our station in life. These things are, there's more than enough to ever do that we don't have to think about making up new ones to do. But we look to the scriptures and find what God desires and do those in good faith, in faith which trusts in him. One more example that shows the vast difference between these two kinds of workers. The one who works to earn, and the other that works trusting in God alone, even when accomplishing the same work. One fasts in order to get something from God, some merit or to achieve an answer to prayer. The other fasts to discipline the body, keeping it other, under subjection, learning to deny the flesh its normal desires in order to, by the help of the Holy Spirit, deny sinful desires as well. One gives to the poor, secretly hoping for a reward, to be recognized either by others or by God, and so to receive praise and commendation or to increase in righteousness. The other gives for the sake of the poor one, so that they might have help, because Christ has given so liberally to us poor and wretched sinners that we might have his righteousness and be justified by his grace. See the difference. 
But brothers and sisters, we know that our works are not always so pure as those described. There's often some impurity mixed in, which comes from ourselves. That's why we don't trust in our works. They are impure because we are impure, and so we cannot rely on them. Our flesh is determined to do that, though, and so we must rather rely on Christ our Lord. The daily life of the Christian is one of repentance, repenting of sinful thoughts, words, and deeds, of those things that were done sinfully, and also those good things that were left undone. But it's also faith and trust in the Lord who forgives our sins because of what was done for us. The one who trusts in him who has called us into his kingdom so that we might go into our lives and bear the fruits of faith and repentance, good works which serve our neighbor. By faith, God views those works as the works of Christ, as works that are pleasing in his sight, even though we know they are impure because of our sin. God builds us up through one another, supporting one another, that these works enable us to, sorry, that even our works are enabled by God to call others into the kingdom of God, for it's ultimately not us calling them on our own, but God calling them through us, that they might work alongside us in the kingdom. So let us always denounce ourselves and any desire to earn anything from God, but instead trust in the Lord and wait upon him, and relying on him who so graciously forgives us our sins because of Jesus Christ, we might rely and wait on his mercy. And so let us be about those good works which he's called us to do until the day that he calls us to his side, until the day when our work will be over and we enter into the time of joyful celebration of our Lord and Master, who has saved us for the sake of his Son, according to his grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.